0: It was a very cruel scene, executed in an unusual manner.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, cruel coven. Hello, little jelly beans. Easter's over, but it's fine. There's never a
0: wrong time to eat a Starburst jelly bean. I don't like the texture. Do you want to know what another good jelly bean is? What? What? Rosé jelly beans. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: interesting! Who would have thought? I never Ooh. ate jelly beans. No, but I did recently. Because when we were kids, they were gross. Yeah, they were. My kid had the Harry Potter, like booger and vomit mm. flavored ones. Mm-hmm. He was brave. He tried yeah. them. I could never. Uh-uh. This is cruel and unusual. The podcast. I'm Katie. I'm Tori. And here we are. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it we flash across your face.
0: And um, here we are. We are here. And today is a very great day because also uh, my nephews loved the Harry per- Perry. Harry Perry. <laughs> the Harry Perry jelly beans. Those Harry Perry jelly beans? That's... The Harry Perry ones.
1: Um, <laughs> remember no one... on all that <laughs> growing up yeah. the show, they had the bladder uh, uh, Harry Bladder skit. Harry Bladder.
0: Yes. Um, no, I don't remember that. Yeah. I remember the big orange couch.
1: Uh-huh. On Saturday Snicket night. uh uh-huh. You know, I was looking up um Laurie Beth Denberg. Yeah. She's got a podcast now. Uh, and really? she's like um she's still doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Like I think she does stand up and Oh, that's cool. I think it's like an advice like a funny advice podcast. I Ooh. haven't listened to it yet, but I kind of want to. I would like that probably. Yeah.
0: Nora. Nora. Nora's gonna be screaming. Nora's gonna be screaming throughout. She screamed last episode too. Don't one star us because of that. <laughs> There's plenty of other reasons. <laughs> one star us because we suck. No. <laughs> uh, okay so what have you got for me today? You have a QOTD?
1: You got an article? What do you want to do first? Uh, what did we do last time? First? I don't remember. All right, let's do our question. Okay. We have a question. This is from, well, it was from like two weeks ago, but it's from Ben. Better late than ever. He wants to know, what's the worst things you've ever read, watched, and listened to? (laughs) (laughs) Well. Here's the thing. (laughs) If I don't enjoy something, I don't finish it. No. I turn it off because life is too short. Life's too short for books you don't, you're not enjoying. It's too short for shows you're not enjoying or music or podcasts. Anything. Agree. But there's a lot of things I don't like that oh, yeah. I've tried. Yeah, me too. Most things.
0: Most actually. things
1: that everybody seems to love. And I, I don't do this because I'm like, oh, I'm different. It's I want to be cool. I genuinely no. don't enjoy mm-hmm star wars any star of the trek. superheroes marvel star trek dc harry potter none of it disney i don't none enjoy it. It. friends i know you like friends. i like friends yeah that's where we differ but i can't stand it i mean
0: we have always had a very um low tolerance for disney
1: yeah it's always been that even way. growing up yes i didn't like it much it, i preferred we um live action like yeah matilda is the only thing yeah. that comes to my head right yeah. now but you know what i mean <laughs>
0: yeah um We went to Disney World. Yeah. My family and I. I was around like Mm 10-ish, 9 or 10. I hated every
1: minute of it. Yeah. There were people. Well. It was hot. I went. I think I was like 6 and I got chicken pox. As soon as we got there, I got chicken pox on the way home. Did
0: you? (laughs) It's just, and I've never liked Disney. No. It's just not a thing for me. No. I'm sorry if you're an ear wearer. Love what makes you happy. Exactly, And I love that for you. (laughs) But
1: But not for me. I don't love it for me.
0: (laughs) No. No. If you're somebody who's a diehard Disney, mm-hmm. that's fucking awesome.
1: So, does that answer the question? Anywho, we hate everything. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Do you have an article for me? I do. Do you want
0: it? I want it. Mine is from Oxygen. You've maybe read it. It's, the headline is, but I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> the headline is, everything is a quote. I should mention that. And it's by Jill Setterstrom. All right. Eh. Okay. Eh. Probably wrong. Okay, quote, woman accused of lacing ex-boyfriend's oatmeal with fentanyl before strangling him with his favorite tie. Jeez. She was on a roll. Whoa. Okay. Heidi Littlefield and her ex-boyfriend, Francis Kelly, had reportedly been in a heated custody dispute for the couple's young daughter when she allegedly enlisted the help of her adult daughter and her daughter's boyfriend to carry out the deadly plan to kill him. This is not good. Indiana. Oh, okay. An Indiana woman has been accused of lacing her ex-boyfriend's oatmeal with fentanyl and then strangling him to death with his favorite tie amid a heated custody battle
1: for the couple's young daughter. That's, um, I wonder if she put a lot of thought into that tie choice or if she just grabbed one and it happened to be his favorite. Couldn't tell you. Hmm.
0: But Heidi Marie Littlefield, 41, is now facing charges of murder and two counts of conspiracy to commit murder in the death of 46-year-old Frances Kelly. Littlefield is accused of conspiring with her adult daughter Loken Runyon, twenty two, and her daughter's boyfriend, Robert James Walker, twenty nine, to carry out the plot that killed Kelly, who was found dead January eighteenth in his home in Carmel. People reports. Runyon has also been charged with murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder, while Walker is facing two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, according to a statement from Carmel Police. Kelly's body was discovered on the couch at his carmel home after police were asked to do a welfare check at the home another former girlfriend of kelly had reached out to authorities after he failed to pick up their nine-year-old daughter for his birthday mm. Mm, i hate that an autopsy would later determine the 46 year old died of asphyxia due to manual strangulation slash neck compression according to a probable cause statement obtained by the local outlet current in carmel Kelly had also suffered blunt force trauma to the head and had injuries to his hand, elbow, and knees. Jeez. Uh Uh-huh. A toxicology report also found high levels of the synthetic opioid fentanyl in his system. At the time of his death, Kelly and Littlefield had been in a heated custody battle over the couple's two-year-old daughter, People Reports. Walker allegedly told police that Runyon and Littlefield had told him that they had spiked Kelly's oatmeal with fentanyl God. while they were at his home on January 14th, according to the affidavit also obtained by people. Jeez. Wow. I can't.
1: I can't. Why couldn't they have just stopped at the fentanyl? I mean, don't do it at all. Yeah. But why so much? Why, why are you doing all so much? Of it? The next day, Kelly sent Littlefield a
0: text message accusing her of tampering with the food. Oh, so it didn't kill him right not right away, at least. Well well, you doesn't take much fentanyl to overdose. Jeez. Did you do something to the oatmeal that was in my fridge? He texted her oh. according to the affidavit. He didn't eat it. You were in my fridge last night and it tasted funny.
1: Oh, he did eat it. It tasted oh funny. Oh, my God. It's, it's a, a wild roller coaster.
0: <laughs> <It> t- <laughs> you were in my fridge last night and it tasted funny after a couple of bites and now I'm lightheaded. Oh, no. Holy fuck. Littlefield denied doing anything sinister to the oatmeal in her response. Who? TF, as in the fuck, puts oatmeal in a fridge. I don't know anything you do or want to, exclamation mark. Your life and the stuff you say, do is beyond me. She allegedly, allegedly texted back. She replied back several times, but her two final messages were never opened. Wow. Authority said, ugh. An ex-boyfriend of Littlefield later told police that she told him, Logan put fentanyl in Fran's oatmeal sometime on January 14th, the affidavit alleges. Littlefield also allegedly told her ex that she and Runyon had gone to Kelly's home the next day and crawled through a window when he didn't answer the door. Heidi advised an ex-boyfriend that she and Logan found Fran aspirating Mm. on the kitchen floor, the affidavit said. The ex-boyfriend advised that Heidi also mentioned a lanyard around Fran's neck and it being involved in the incident. According to the account Walker gave to investigators, Runyon told him that Littlefield had grabbed Fran's favorite tie and tried to strangle him and smash his head into the pavement, according to the affidavit. Walker stated Heidi bludgeoned his head against the floor. He told police that Littlefield had tried to enlist his help with an alleged murder plot Mm. several months earlier to find someone to quote unquote take care of her problem, authorities said. She reportedly paid him $2,500 in October to hire someone to carry out the hit. He was reportedly supposed to get another 2,500 after Kelly was killed. No. Oh, so it was going to be 5 grand. Not enough. <laughs> Walker said Littlefield had claimed that Kelly was abusive to her and her baby and that she would be failing her daughter if the dude didn't end up dead authorities said. Okay. The former couple had reportedly been slated to appear in court for a hearing on January 27th to discuss Kelly's allegation that Littlefield had been violating the parenting time order. The main concern was Heidi was not allowing Fran to pick up his child and that she would stay in his house during parenting time, police said. In the days following Kelly's death, police said Littlefield made a series of disturbing statements to a relative, telling the individual he's better off dead and I might as well say I did it and say I'm crazy and pregnant, according to the affidavit. Hmm. She is slated to appear in court for a pretrial
1: hearing on June 15th. That was a ride, wasn't it? Dang, yeah. Do you have an article for me? Mine is from People.com and it was written by Katie Campione. The headline is California Man 32 charged with killing mom and uncle during Zoom call. Oh. This is a horrific case, it says. Okay. Robert Anderson Cotton is facing two counts of murder with an allegation of using a knife as a deadly and dangerous weapon. A 32-year-old man has been charged with killing his mother and uncle last week, the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office said Monday. This was posted on March 29th. Robert Anderson Cotton is facing two counts of murder with an allegation of using a knife as a deadly and dangerous weapon, according to the DA's office. On March 22nd, Cotton allegedly stabbed his mother, Carol Brown, 67 and his uncle, Kenneth Preston, 69, at the house they shared in Southern California. One of Brown's work colleagues witnessed the attacks while on a Zoom call with her. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? How does that happen? Oh, pandemic life. Right. Right. This is a horrific case in which the mother's work colleagues witnessed part of the attack while on a Zoom call and called the authorities. Brown was a faculty member at Pasadena City College for over 14 years, according to her social media. Wow. Most recently, she served as a co-coordinator of its Black STEM program initiative. So many memories about Carol and the amazing work that she did with so many of our students and the incredible spirit she had that was so positive, uplifting, and helpful. Dr. Cynthia Olivo, Vice President of Student Services, told KCAL 9. Dion Shelter, a former student and current employee at PCC, told the news station that Brown always made students feel at home during their time at the college. Isn't this strange? Like, what happened? Right. Do they know? I honestly feel so heartbroken. I feel so sad, she said. When you don't care where someone comes from, what they look like, what they might smell like, or whatever, and you still treat them like they are the same as you, a doctor with a PhD, or whatever, it's amazing. Pasadena City College did not immediately respond to people's request for comment. Deputies responded to the 3100 block of North Marengo Avenue in El Tadena, California around 2.45 p.m. after Brown's colleague reported witnessing a possible kidnapping in progress. So they must have not known exactly what was what they were seeing. Right. Maybe they just saw like her get hit and yeah it
0: went black or something yeah
1: the los angeles county sheriff's department wrote in a press sorry relief. to interrupt no but i my know God. when they arrived they found preston in the driveway suffering multiple stab wounds they discovered brown's body inside the home both were pronounced dead at the scene the sheriff's department said during the investigation cotton returned to the residence driving one of the victim's cars and identified himself as a resident according to deputies what he was detained on scene okay you were on video yeah you were on video you're not just a you resident. can't just like come back you're and be murderer. like what's going on here yeah. no dummy authorities have not yet identified a motive for the attacks so maybe hmm? there wasn't one could have been anything Cotton is being held on a bail of $4 million and appeared in court Monday according to the LASD's Inmate Information Center. It is unclear if he has entered a plea at this time and a lawyer for Cotton could not be immediately identified by people. That's the end. (sighs) I would love to have an update. Right. That's just so, not only are you murdering, your Two family. People. Yeah. But you're also traumatizing everybody on Zoom. Right. Who doesn't be, be there, there anyway? God and no, nobody to wants to be that. on Zoom. Does anybody really want to be on no. Zoom ever? No, 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 no. Awful. Awful. No awful. And then to
0: see a heinous yeah, terrifying crime like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Those poor people. I fucking hate that. Yeah, that's scary. Speaking of downers, <laughs> speaking of downers, I've got a really sad case, multiple cases today. Oh no! But they're important. Yeah. And once again, I had never heard of them. Today, I'm talking about an unprecedented, at the time, three-month time span in 1974 when five girls, aged six through twelve, Ugh. disappeared in jacksonville florida no there are no answers to this day unfortunately there are lots of theories possibly a serial killer connection but these girls deserve to have their stories told and with the advancements in technology we're seeing a lot of these old cases get solved yeah and they shouldn't be forgotten yeah one mother told the jacksonville journal on october 28th 1974 At least three-fourths of her neighbors are fearful of letting their children out to play or go to the store anymore alone Uh and are taking them to and from school. Quote, they're all afraid and I don't blame them, end quote, she said. So we're starting at the end of July, 1974, July 21st. Okay. And I'm going to talk about a little girl named Jean Schoen. Aw. Jean, who went by Jeannie, was only nine years old. She was described as a very good kid. She went to Love Grove Elementary School. She was a brownie with the Girl Scouts. Jeannie was at her grandma's house when her uncle asked her if she'd walk down to the corner store and buy him a pack of cigarettes. What? Normal for the times, I suppose. That was very normal then. I know. It just seems so stupid yeah <laughs> doesn't it it's that number one it seems awful to make your little
0: niece was it a niece, her niece his yeah niece, yeah go get you cigarettes i
1: know but and number two it seems yeah. weird that she could mm-hmm. yep oh my god it was just completely different times and i was thinking about this a it lot Like that long ago because like most of these little girls were walking to her from the store mm-hmm. and it's like when you watch these documentaries or like listen to these podcasts about cases from then from back then it's like oh, we had no reason to be afraid you know like there was but obviously you did you did it's always been like it's always been a threat yeah there's always been these threats there's always been predators out there yeah Whether you knew about it or not. Right. You just didn't hear about things because
0: social media wasn't a thing. There was no social media. So we didn't know about, I mean, unless Mm -hmm. it was like really horrific, we didn't know about people being murdered in Delaware. Right.
1: In Illinois. Because we don't watch the Delaware news. And especially when this was going on, they didn't have the 24-hour news. Now you can watch news whenever you want to. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't a thing. The world news, Mm -hmm. your local news, like it's all right there. Yeah. And yeah, maybe the world is worse in different ways, but not in this. There's always been child predators. Remember watching Abducted in Plain Sight? They're like, we didn't even know what a pedophile was. Yeah. So anyway, Jeannie's walking to the corner store to buy cigarettes for her uncle. So Jeannie left her grandma's home, which was on West 19th Street in Jacksonville. And she walked... It was only two blocks. She walked two blocks to Hannah's Food Store on the corner of 17th and Pearl Street. So I mean... We did this. We yeah. didn't go buy cigarettes no. for people, but we-, <laughs> we would walk all over town. Yeah. The cashier at Hannah's food store confirmed that Jeannie purchased the cigarettes, but she left without them. She forgot them there. Aw. Once Jeannie realized this, she returned to the store and, and picked them up. Jeannie's uncle or grandma must have told her that she was allowed to use the spare change from buying the cigarettes to play pinball at an arcade called The Hangout, because Jeannie told the cashier that that's that's where she was going next. She was going to use the change for that. The owner of The Hangout arcade said that he saw Jeannie. She tried to come in to play pinball, but he had just cleaned the floors. So he told her that she would have to come back later when the floors were dry. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Like a business would never say, oh, you can't come in right now. I know. You know what I mean? I'm just imagining like this crotchety old guy. Yeah. Like, Get off my fucking floor. I just
0: <laughs> wax the floor. <laughs> the floor. You have to wait 42 mm-hmm. minutes. <laughs> Sorry. 42. Got into it.
1: <laughs> So Jeannie made her way to the laundromat, which was close to a Winn-Dixie store, and either two of her friends were already there or they had all met up at the arcade and then walked to the laundromat. Okay. Either way, a white man on a blue bike with light, quote unquote, hair like Elvis, who none of the girls knew, approached them. This man grabbed Jeannie and forced her into the laundromat's bathroom.
0: Oh, no.
1: They were in there for a few minutes. No. And then when Jeannie came out, she was crying. <laughs> the man somehow got Jeannie onto his bike. It was unclear whether this was like a motorcycle or an like a bicycle. Okay. Not sure. But he got her to get on it with him and he rode off with her. Her friends told police that she didn't scream, she didn't try to fight to get away from the man, but she was in distress. Like yeah. she was crying. She didn't she didn't seem like she knew him. Yeah. She didn't want to be you with him. You could have said anything. And I'm to pretty her sure too. he sexually assaulted her in that bathroom. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but Jeannie was never seen again. Oh, honey.
0: I hate that. huh Nine. Mm. And how old was
1: this guy allegedly? Like think they We don't didn't there know. was not no. a, there wasn't a description. I'm assuming her little friends that were there were Around her age, it's hard to tell. He was fifty, and he could have been Mm twenty. Yeah. Jeannie's mom, Pam, said, "Quote: She was feisty and hyperactive like me. She had to be forced. She wouldn't have gone with anyone willingly." End quote. Because the possibility of Jeannie running away had to be addressed. I I guess she was literally. Probably sexually assaulted right there in the bathroom and then taken, but according to her family, Jeannie was not a troubled child. She was happy. She had a good home life. In the days after Jeannie was abducted, her family distributed 1,000 flyers with her photo on them, and I have a picture of them that I'll share. Aww. She's a baby. She had long blonde hair with bangs, Can and I she's see it? and she's smiling so brightly in this photo that you can see that one of her front teeth is missing. Oh, sweetheart. I hate that. Let me pull it up for you really quick. Oh, my God. Doesn't it just make you like sick? Mm Mm-hmm. A literal baby. baby. On the bottom of the flyer, it was a note from her mom. It read, quote, This is a plea from Jeannie's mother to whomever has my daughter. I know you have her because you also wanted a little girl to love, but I love her desperately. Need her return to me, please. End quote. Uh, From what little information I found, that's what she assumed, that yeah. they, they want a little girl to have, yep. too, have a little daughter. That
0: probably was easier for her to, her to think that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I literally had the chills just mm-hmm. thinking about
1: that. Yeah. So the family had three phone lines installed just in case they got that one phone call that they needed. They wanted to make sure that there was always a line open. mm mm-hmm. Less than two weeks later, on August 1st, sisters Annette Anderson, who was 11, and Milette Anderson, who was 6, disappeared. Annette and Milette were left home alone that day. Their mom, Elizabeth, and their older sister, Donna, they were going to be out of the house taking care of the girl's aunt who was sick. Okay. Their dad, Jack, was out of town fishing. He was a commercial fisherman, so he was working, but he was on his way back home. The girl's mom called the house at around 7 p.m. to check on them, and according to her, everything seemed fine. The conversation was normal. The girls were okay, and mom was satisfied with that. Okay, so she talked to them at seven. She talked to them at seven. And everything seemed normal. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. The girl's aunt called a little bit after that, but no one answered the phone. So Jack, the dad, was supposed to be home from work at seven. That was his normal routine, but the motor on the boat that he was on fishing broke down. So he was running about 20 minutes late. When Jack finally did get home, the house was completely empty. No Annette, no Mylette. Somehow in that brief 20 minute window, both of the girls had vanished right from their house. So crazy. Jack found the family's dog locked inside of a bedroom mm. and six-year-old Mylette's favorite toy, a baby doll that she took with her everywhere, was also gone. This is a quote from Donna, the girl's older sister. Quote, whoever went in the house would have to put the little dog up in mommy and daddy's bedroom because he would eat them up because he was so attached to Annette so badly. End quote. So that dog must have been going nuts. Yeah, I'm sure. When police questioned the Andersons' neighbors, several of them said that they saw a white car in their driveway, in the Andersons' driveway, sometime around 6 to 7 p.m. But no one heard anything, no one noticed anything suspicious, and no one witnessed the girls leaving the house. All of the windows and the exterior doors were closed, but none of them were locked. Nothing mm. was locked. There was no sign of forced entry into the house. So I think the girls didn't have the door locked. Yeah. Either right. the doors or any of the doors. Right. Um, it was also noted that the street that the Andersons lived on was a dead end, one way in and one way out. And this led investigators to believe that whoever took the girls had planned the abduction well in advance because they had to know. Yeah. But then there's also, if the dad usually got home at seven, right. that's a risk. Right so to wait that long Mm -hmm.
0: when they had been alone all day yeah it seems like they were alone until the very last minute i don't know unless they were like going back and forth all day like am i going to do it am i Mm -hmm. not going to do it am i going to do it okay i only have 10 more minutes to do it i have to do it now yeah yeah you know
1: yep and they wouldn't have known really if if the mom called at seven Mm -hmm. and the dad was usually home at seven yeah maybe they were watching and they're like okay he's not here yet this is my only chance right i don't know There's so many ways it could go. Uh. So, the search for Annette and Milat began, and it lasted for days. Over 100 square miles total were searched, but nothing turned up. Some people said that they saw the girls riding as passengers in a pickup truck, and several others said that they saw the girls picking up glass bottles in an empty schoolyard. Neither of those sightings could be confirmed, and the Andersons held out hope that their daughters would return home. They're still missing today. Oh, and what year was this? The 1974. Same. This all, all of these happen within a three month. And how far train. away
0: from each other? All
1: in Jacksonville, but all in different neighborhoods. How big is Jacksonville? I think it's a pretty decent sized city. Yeah, okay. The population of Jacksonville right now is 890,000. Holy- so just under a million people. But back then probably, yeah. I mean, less, obviously, yeah. but still a decent-sized city. The next month, September 27, 1974, 12-year-old Virginia Helm disappeared from Jacksonville. Oh. Just like Jeannie, she was sent to the store by herself. She was going there to buy soap, and it should have been just a very quick trip. It was a block away, and her dad was home waiting for her. But when 45 minutes passed and Virginia hadn't returned home yet, he started to get worried. Sure. So he set out to look for her, but he found no sign of her. Like I said, a block away. Wow. So that's not very far to no. to look. No. You know what I mean? It's not like a very far distance that something could have happened. Right. In. Yeah. So yet another search for another missing little girl began. Witnesses were interviewed, and one thing that several of them had in common was that they saw a red Volkswagen bug near the area where Virginia would have been three days after she disappeared, a couple was traveling on New King's Road and they happened upon a red VW bug pulled Hmm. over on the side of the road. So, the couple stopped. They pulled over to see if the man driving the bug needed any help. And when they approached the car, they saw a young girl who matched Virginia's description in the back seat. So, she was facing backwards, like with her knees on the floor and her hands on the seat. Like, she was getting up, like, Uh using the seat to push herself up. And the couple reported that the girl's pupils appeared to be dilated, and she was looking back and forth really fast, like, she was scared. Aww. When the man driving the bug realized that the couple had seen the girl, he Uh sped off in a hurry. But a bag had fallen out of the car without him realizing it. So... Assholes and VW bugs in the 70s, right? So the bag that fell out of the car was collected as evidence to be tested for fingerprints. And so obviously this couple um, made a report about this and what they had seen. It's unclear whether or not they found any prints on the bag. But if they did, I'm sure we would know if they found a match to them. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that would have been reported and Mm -hmm. I didn't see anything about that. It's also unclear whether or not they plan to test the bag for DNA if they still have it which I hope they do.
0: Yeah.
1: Police also found out that the day before Virginia went missing, a man in a red car tried to get Virginia's best friend, Marianne, to get into the car with him. Dear
0: God. He told
1: her, get in or I'll kill you. Oh. But Marianne ran away. So we don't know if it was the same guy or the same car, but man, if these are not all connected, there were a lot of creeps in Jacksonville Mm at this time. Mm -hmm. On October 16th, 1974... The fifth girl within three months went missing from Jacksonville. Her name was Rebecca Green, and she was also 12. Rebecca was on her way back home from the store, which was only five blocks away from her house. The cashier at the store did confirm that Rebecca made it to the store, so we know that it was sometime after she left and was on her way back home that she was taken. Okay. And I'm just assuming she was taken because it happens a lot mm-hmm. there isn't a lot out there about rebecca's case at all there were searches done but once again they turned up nothing and there don't seem to have been any eyewitnesses in her case either that i found just over a week after rebecca disappeared virginia helm's body was found she was the fourth girl oh no that i spoke about she was found near beechwood and beach avenue She had been shot in the head with a 22 caliber bullet and buried in a shallow grave wearing only her shirt.
0: Oh my fucking God. I fucking hate people. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, since all of this was going on, five little girls going missing within a three-month time frame and one found murdered so far, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office moved the cases from missing persons to the homicide unit. Oh, God. I don't know if it was because they assumed they were going to find more bodies, yeah, or right. I'm not really sure. They started um, investigating the other ones. Yeah. The homicides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From what I found, at least from what the police told the public via like media interviews, they didn't have anything solid to link these five disappearances together. And they did all occur in different parts of Jacksonville, like I said, but they did seem to have a feeling that they could have all been connected, that it was possible, Mm-hmm. Lead Detective Jansen had put a note at the bottom of Jeannie Showen's file mentioning the names of the other missing girls just so that if her case, being the first disappearance, was looked into by anybody else, it would mm-hmm. be known that Jeannie wasn't the only child to go missing in that time frame. Yeah, A serial killer, a man named Paul John Knowles, also known as the Casanova Killer, uh, uh, fuck off uh, with that, was brought up during all of this. So, in early 1974, Paul Knowles was serving time in a Florida prison, and he started corresponding with a woman named Angela Kovic. She was from San Francisco, so she came all the way to Florida prison to visit, to a prison to visit um Paul. That is some kind of fucking sickness. <laughs> I don't yeah. care what anyone mm-hmm. says. Mhm. And Paul proposed to her right away. No shit he did. Yeah. Who else was he going yep. to propose to? Mm-hmm.
0: Nobody else was giving him the time of fucking date.
1: <laughs> Casanova killer. Yeah,
0: <laughs> shut
1: <laughs> up. But Angela wanted Paul out of prison. She loved him. And Paul wanted Paul out of prison. He loved himself. So Angela began paying for Paul's legal fees and Paul was eventually released. Fucking I'm Angela. not sure. He was in and out. I don't know what he was in for at this point. He was just he couldn't keep his shit together. Um. <laughs> so... Angela was from San Francisco, like I said, so as soon as Paul got out of prison, he flew out there to be with her. This is when Angela visited a psychic. Oh. This psychic warned Angela that a very dangerous man had entered or was about to enter her life. Ding ding
0: ding! You visited
1: a prison for right? Like, like, okay, <laughs> there's sometimes right. there's dangerous there. Why did you need there? a psychic to tell you that, yeah, honey? Right. Okay, but that warning was enough for Angela to break up with Paul, and Paul fucking lost it.
0: But could you tell me why, like? You knew he was dangerous. I know. But then a psychic tells Angela. you that there's someone
1: coming into your life uh-huh. that is dangerous. dangerous. and then you're man. like Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <Well. laughs> could he be dangerous? <laughs> the guy I just got out of prison? The guy, yeah. The guy I literally just paid to get out and of no, prison. No. Not everybody in prison is dangerous or no. is going to be a killer. We know that. But the Casanova killer is. But the Casanova killer, John Paul Knowles. Yeah. <laughs> that one is. That's yep. who we're talking about. Yep. yep. So she broke up with him. He was not happy about it, and he went back to Jacksonville, Florida. Not long after he got back to Florida, Paul was arrested again for stabbing a bartender. Oh! But while he was in his holding cell, he managed to pick the lock and escape on July 26th, 1974. Hmm. Hmm. Now, this would have been five days after Jeannie Schoen was abducted. Mm Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find out how long he was in jail for before he escaped. Like, was it a day? Right. Was it two days? He could have had right. enough time. Right. She was seen being dragged away on, on the bicycle. Or, or motorcycle. Or a motorcycle on July 21st. And it's the 26th when he escaped. So here is Paul, Tori. Okay. Remember when the little kid witnesses with Jeannie said yeah. the man had light hair like Elvis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean. Could be. It could be. After he escaped, he did go on a murder rampage. Okay. So, his total number of victims is unknown. It's believed to be somewhere between 20 and 35 or more. He liked to confess to things that he didn't do as well. Um, and I'm not going to get into the details of his murder spree because it's kind of muddy. It's, there's a lot of unknown. Yeah. Um. But after he was caught again, he did confess to abducting and murdering Annette and Milette Anderson, Oh my god. the sisters who disappeared from their house on mm-hmm. August 1st, and that was a few days after he escaped from jail in Jacksonville. Reportedly, he said that the Anderson family were friends or at least acquaintances, and after he abducted the girls, he had to kill them because they knew who he was and they would have been able to identify him. He said that he dumped Annette and Milette's bodies in a rural area and then he headed to Atlantic Beach where he continued his murder spree. Paul didn't seem to have an age preference. He murdered elderly women, young girls, middle-aged women, a man, but he was all over the place and by September of 1974, he had taken his spree up to Ohio and then he moved on to Nevada, Texas, Alabama, he would have been in the Alabama area around the time Virginia Helm disappeared. And then in October, when Rebecca Green disappeared, Paul would have been in the Virginia, Connecticut area. Mm -hmm. That's if he's to be believed. Right. And if the records are correct. He was quite literally all over the country being a fucking cowardly loser. Yeah. But he was for sure in the Jacksonville, Florida area when Annette and Mylad Anderson went missing. Now, as far as Paul's confession about murdering Annette and Milette, Paul confessed to this in a letter after he was finally arrested. He said that he strangled the girls and dumped them in that rural area near Commonwealth, which is a Jacksonville neighborhood. Uh Um, But police thoroughly searched the area and found no sign of the sisters or bodies being there or remains or anything. Huh. And the thing is, Paul Knowles was known for embellishing the number of victims that he murdered because he loved the shock value of it. Yeah, sure. It wasn't like a coercion thing. He came up with these unfounded murder stories all on his own, and he did it a lot. <sighs> what a piece of shit. hmm Usually we hear about suspects being, like, questioned for hours, mm-hmm. and they're just being drilled into... And they just, they want it to stop. So they confess or people are innocent, but they know that they're going to be charged and they think they're, they'll get a lesser sentence or whatever the reason is that they'll, they'll confess to something they didn't do. There's plenty of reasons why someone would do that. Yeah. But Paul, everyone already knew he was a cold-blooded killer. Right he he knew he wasn't getting off and you could argue that he finally like found a conscience mm-hmm. and wanted the families of the victims to have answers yeah like you could think that if it weren't for the fact that he made numerous false confessions mm-hmm. so we can only conclude that he made these confessions because he liked it right he enjoyed it so gross. it was fun for him it doesn't mean that he didn't abduct and murder annette and Mailette. it mm-hmm. does mean that if he did he gave the police wrong information yeah, I couldn't find anything about if he really did know the Anderson family, though, and I'm really curious if he was a family friend or acquaintance, because like I said, he was in the area, he was a cold-blooded killer, he would have seen no issue with taking two little girls from their home and murdering them. No,
0: he was cocky mm-hmm. as fuck. But
1: if he knew the girls and the girls knew him, that would just be like another tally mark. Right. You know? Detective Jansen, the lead detective for these disappearances, was quoted as saying, quote, I can't say that he is responsible for this. I am leaning toward he is not. Hmm. It is a false confession just based on some of the facts that we know of the case, end quote. And Paul was in Jacksonville when these little girls' faces were all over. Mm-hmm. Everyone was out looking for them. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that he read about them and decided right. to be a dick and say that he killed them. Right. Just because, like, that's so sick, though. So sick. In November of 1979, Paul Knowles was shot and killed while he was in the backseat of a police car, as he was being transferred to a different facility. Paul had picked the lock on his handcuffs, and he grabbed one of the officer's guns. He managed to shoot it while it was still holstered, so, like, he reached to the driver, the officer who was driving, grabbed his gun, shot it in the holster three times, and then the other officer who was riding shotgun... Managed to get his gun out, and he shot Paul in the chest three times, killing him instantly.
0: God. Yeah.
1: What the fuck? He, he's fucking picking locks all over the place. Yeah, honestly. He's very good Honestly. At that. So, as glad as I am that a monster was taken down for good that day, any answers or truths that he held, unfortunately... Went with him. Went with him. So three years later, in 1977, the skeletal remains of Rebecca Green were found near the mouth of the St. John's River off Fort Georgia Island in Jacksonville. Aww. So she was the fifth one.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Due to the state of her remains, it wasn't possible to determine how she died. Aww. So no obvious like trauma Yeah, or anything like that a detective who was there when Rebecca's remains were discovered decided to cut a piece of her hair that was left and seal it in a bag as evidence. Now, I'm not really sure exactly why he would have done that in 1977. But it's it's I'm glad it's a good Uh thing that he did. I just I don't know. I was thinking about that. I'm like, they didn't know about DNA. Or I mean, it was very early. Yeah, maybe he just had a feeling that it would come. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm, it would continue evolving. And now it can be tested for DNA that's not Rebecca's. Like if her killer had touched her head or handled her head in any way, there's a possibility that they could find a match. As of 2019, the hair hadn't been tested yet for Mm. DNA. Um, I haven't seen any updates. According to the Jacksonville Sheriff's Cold Case Unit, they're taking a better look at these cases and looking at them with today's investigative standards. They're following up on as many leads as they can after all of these years. I mean, it's got to be so hard. I just hate How that. how many years later? What's yeah, left?
0: Decades later.
1: But we are seeing these cases being solved, these yeah. old ones. So, Project Cold Case is a not-for-profit organization and their goal is to publicize all unsolved United States homicides while this is a quote from their website linking information, families, and law enforcement, and ultimately helping to solve cold cases. And Project Cold Case has been assisting with helping to contact any existing family members of the girls to give them support, to track down any new leads, and to advocate for the victims. Their website is very cool. What they're doing is amazing. It's projectcoldcase.com. They have a searchable cold case database, you can submit a cold case. They have information on support groups and other resources. And I love this. They have a section called Stories of Hope. Hmm. There is always hope. And that section has real news articles about cases that were once cold that are now solved, going back as far as the 70s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that almost every week. And those are just the ones that we see. Right. Almost every week, we see one of these old cases getting solved or a... um. A John or Jane Doe getting identified. It's amazing. As it stands, there aren't answers for any of the five girls' disappearances or murders. Mm, I hate that. Mm -hmm. Jean Marie Schoen was abducted in the Jacksonville area on July 21st, 1974. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, nine years old, four foot two and 55 pounds. She was last seen wearing a dark blue shirt with red trim, blue shorts, and blue shoes. Her nickname was Jeannie, and she was missing a front tooth at the time of her abduction. Oh, honey. Like, it really makes me feel so sad.
0: Yeah.
1: Annette and Mylette Anderson have not been found. Their dad, Jack, lived in the same house they disappeared from until he died, and he kept the same landline phone number for all of those years, just in case. He made his wife promise that if he died before her, that she would keep everything the same, just in case the girls ever came home. Mm. Jack died first. He was buried next to a marker for Annette and Milette that only has their birth dates on it. Lillian Annette Anderson went missing from Jacksonville on august first, nineteen seventy four. She was eleven years old, four foot four, sixty one pounds, brown hair, blue eyes, and goes by her middle name Annette. She was wearing a purple blouse and purple shorts. She has a thyroid condition and needs daily medication. Mylet Josephine Anderson went missing with her sister, Annette. She was six years old, four feet tall, and 50 pounds. She was wearing orange shorts, and she had blonde hair and blue eyes. Mylet suffers from asthma and a heart condition. God. They've done age progression photos for Annette and Mylette, which I'll be sharing, and I'd like you all to share as well if you feel inclined to do so. Is that your call to action for That is the episode? call to action for this week. I'll be sharing them everywhere on social media, and if you guys could share them, that would be great because it only takes one person. The murders of 12-year-old Virginia Helm and 12-year-old Rebecca Green have yet to be solved. If you have information or leads on any of these cases, you're urged to call the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office at 904 630 0500 or email them at JSO Crime Tips at jacks, that's Jax, that's J A X, org, And those are the stories of Jeannie and Annette and Milette and Rebecca and Virginia that someone needs to answer for. So sad. Mm hmm. I hate it. Yep, all within three months, same in the same city.
0: city, little girls. Yep, in the mid seventies, mm-hmm. early mid seventies. Yeah, oh, just wild. I hate that. I it, anytime I hear about little girls or little like, children mm-hmm. in general, yeah, going missing, it's the scariest thing. I can't think of anything. There's nothing scarier than no. that. Mm-mm. Nothing. And I feel like obviously it would be so incredibly intensified and magnified if it was your own oh yeah but
1: it hurts yeah it does to know about any yeah child going missing Mm -hmm. even if it isn't your own because that's a baby yeah and you know how much you love your own child and you know that right most parents feel the same way right and that it would just rip your entire heart out yeah the whole thing there would be nothing left of me mm mm. Well, <laughs> are we ready for a palate cleanser? A palate cleanser. Sniff the coffee beans. Is Give that what me it is? To a cleanse? saltine. Is that what it is to cleanse your, when you're smelling perfume?
0: Um, you're testing perfumes. They have a little coffee. When you're bead. testing perfume, yeah, they do that. When you're drinking coffee when you're beads, testing. I
1: said coffee beads. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you are drinking wine, you get a little tiny circular cracker. Oh, like the body of Christ. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Kind of like a oyster cracker. Gotcha. Almost. All right. Yeah. Um. Not really like a communion cracker. I don't, but I've
1: never been in a real wine tasting. I've just been in a no. wine downing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I, I think do. you would actually like it. I'm sure I would. Yeah. I've just never done it. Yeah. We
0: go. We used to go a lot before Nora, like in before COVID. Mm-hmm. I know you guys used to do that a lot, all the time. But yeah. um, obviously that all came to a
1: a crashing halt. halt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay right. so what are you reading watching listening to reading
0: watching listening what's the haps the haps what are the haps and the hap nots i have so i listened to the entire amy should be 40 podcast yeah. how was that it
1: was a that's gotta be really sad five okay that's gotta be really sad too very Ugh. sad
0: that was i'm just gonna read really quickly In October 1989, a 10-year-old girl went missing after school in a Cleveland suburb. The kidnapping and murder of Amy Mihaljevic is one of the area's most high-profile cases ever, and it's been 30 years since she was killed. On the anniversary of her disappearance, we look at the investigation and how new evidence could shed light on this cold case. Amy Should Be 40 is a five-part podcast from WKYC in Cleveland and Vault Studios. And yeah, so that is Amy Should Be 48. It's a five-part podcast. All of the episodes are, I don't know, they're, they're not very long. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. Very thorough. Very in-depth. I think that'll be next on my list. I think you should definitely, definitely listen to that. I am on episode, I'm almost done with episode six of Your Own Backyard, The Disappearance of Kristen Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, And that was one that you recommended a last episode or yeah maybe the episode before I don't remember but that is the one that is by Chris Lambert and it's a documentary podcast that follows the disappearance of Cal Poly student Kristen Smart and all of the aftermath after that you mm-hmm. went into depth about it last time so I won't what do you think though it. isn't it good oh it is so good I might be in love with the man who's doing it. I told you um he may be the next baby daddy. i doesn't just, he just sound nice? <laughs> yes. Like, just he nice. sounds like a nice man. <laughs> yeah. Those are respectful very hard to come nice. by. Yeah. A nice, respectful fellow. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Um Uh it's wild. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It's, yeah. Another Paul.
1: Yeah. And all those stories about him from all the people. Oh. And his parents. And the parents. Yes. Oh, the parents. What the fuck is up with them? Mm-hmm. They know. They, they all know. know. The sister knows. They, they all know. know.
0: Every single one of them know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a wild ride. And I think everybody should listen to Your Own Backyard. Mm-hmm. And Amy Should Be 40. Those are the only podcasts I listened to this week. I have not read a single word. I have not written a single word. Um, I started my new business venture with Usborne. And that's all. What about you? What are you reading, watching, and listening to?
1: Not a whole lot, but I did finish the Paper Ghosts podcast. I can't remember what that Um, one was about. That was about the five girls and women who were missing or murdered in Connecticut. I think it's Connecticut. Okay. Um And that one's just, it's it's a big web. There are no real answers, but there's kind of like, all right, maybe, yeah, you know, one of those type of things. It was very, very good. That was the one by M. William Phelps, and he's a prolific true crime author. Uh Uh-huh. And I also finished the Orange Tree podcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'll read you just a little bit about this. Um, the Orange Tree, it's hosted by Tenu Thomas and Haley Butler. They were college students when they made this. They were journalism majors. I don't know if this, I think this was like a project kind of, but okay. they did so good. So in the About section it says 15 years ago 21 year old jennifer cave went out with her friend colton petoniak to celebrate getting a new job she never showed up for her first day of work Mm -hmm. two days later jennifer's body was found at the orange tree a condo complex near the university of texas at austin petoniak a promising ut business student who lived in the condo had fled to mexico and he wasn't alone he had gone with another ut student laura hall and they mentioned multiple times throughout that they wanted to tell the story with sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And it was it's such a gruesome, gruesome yeah. murder. It's horrifying. And mm-hmm. I had never heard of this one either. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. Um, but they did a good job. The orange tree, it's great. I don't know what else to say. I mean... Yeah. It's good. To go listen Their to voices it. are pleasant to listen to. They do a lot of interviews. Yeah. Um, the girl that he fled to Mexico with didn't want to be on the podcast, but they were messaging her on Facebook, so mm-hmm. they read the messages. It's just, it's so interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. They did oh. a good job. Um, I have not been reading anything. I haven't been watching anything. I did download the book called Social Creature by Tara Isabella Burton. And it's a I thriller. I'm Sebastian. not really sure what exactly it's about, but I'm, I want to start that this week. So that's about it. Cool. And nothing else? No. Nothing else at all. Nothing else Oh, at all. American Idol. My oh, yes, you guiltiest have guiltiest pleasure of yes. all. Uh-huh. Actually, it's not guilty. No. It's just a pleasure. Uh-huh. I enjoy it. Yeah. I am the Pleasant harshest in... critic. <laughs> are you? Yes. Oh, I will tell them how bad they fucked up, uh-huh, or how great they are every yes. time. I think that's all. You can send us an email at cruelandunusualpod at gmail There's Nora screaming. There's Nora. You Hi, can look hello. at our Instagram at cruelandunusualthepod. I tweet. She tweets at cruelunusualpod. Join our Facebook group. That's usually last, but that's cruel and unusual. Colon the group really? and go to cruelincmedia.com for Patreon links, Patreon wall, merch, She'll sources. Know all so of the notes all of the show so notes i said so notes. get so notes and show notes and, and all of them eat your oats and your overnight oats and eat your motherfucking heart out do it all right we love, love you. you bye bye